We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And today I am joined on this Labor Day weekend with the great Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on, man? Not a lot. We're on vacation. We're at the South Bureau and uh, enjoying ourselves. Watch it. But we do the same thing at the South Bureau we do at the North Bureau. We watch the NBA playoffs. We watch we watch sports at all times and keep abreast of all rumors and all innuendo. <laughs> where, where are you at right now? It sounds like there's some background noise back there. It's a, uh, yeah, there's a, a little bit of a party and we're in uh, uh, the Fort Myers area. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm glad you're having a good time on vacation and taking some time to talk uh, <laughs> Pacers basketball with me. So, lot to talk about here, but I want to get into, at first, we have uh, a mailbag that we're going to be doing at the end of the show. We got about 12 questions to go through here, so hopefully you guys are excited for that. But before that, I got to get your thoughts. The Pacers were rumored, um, I guess, to be interviewing Miami Heat assistant coach Dan Craig. And I've never heard too much about him, but it looks like he started out as a video coordinator, similar to Eric Spolcher, that same pathway. Um, You talked about it last week. You want an unknown guy to be uh, the next head coach. Is this uh, this somebody that you could envision being the next Nick Nick Nurse? He qualifies, doesn't he? Dan Craig is a guy. I thought, oh, Dan Burke? No, Dan Craig. And then I thought, Craig, uh, you know, David Craig? The longtime trainer of, of the Pacers? No. No, this is a different guy. This is a guy I've never heard of, and so he does qualify based upon that. But he comes from that that kind of deep dig, analytical sort of background where he's been a video coordinator, and he's been a guy who's paid attention to basketball at a granular, granular level, who not a great player, doesn't have that kind of thing. But it, it seems like guys like Nick Nurse and Spolster you mentioned – those guys tend to be at least as likely to be successful as anybody else. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't mind the Pacers kicking the tires on the guy. And maybe what Kevin said during his postmortem for the season earlier this week was that he was really looking forward to the interview process so he could get together with coaches and have them talk about the Pacers and how they would structure the Pacers and, and kind of schematically attack other teams with that roster. And he was looking forward to the process of, of learning a lot from a lot of the good brains around the game of basketball. And I think that's an important thing. And maybe this is one of those guys that he can learn from and, and figure out how they perceive him. I mean, it's great to get in the head of the, of the Miami Heat coaching staff. These guys have won seven straight playoff games. They swept the Pacers, so obviously they knew something about attacking the Pacers. And so learning from this guy, I think that that's a, a great step in the right direction, whether they hire him or not. Yeah, so it's it's Saturday morning here when we're recording this, and Miami has won seven straight playoff games um, in the bubble. They're the only team that hasn't lost a playoff game. And they're three games up on the number one seed, the Milwaukee Bucks. And, yeah. you know, we, we talk about that heat culture. I know the Pacers have talked about having their culture, but you look at that heat culture – Dan Craig, you know, David Fisdell is really the only assistant coach that I can think of that's left the Spolster regime and, you know, got a head coaching job. And obviously it didn't work out too great for him, but that might have been a little bit of his own doing. Um, Dan Craig, though, is somebody that's got a similar background to an Eric Spolster, Nick Nurse. Even a guy like Frank Vogel kind of had that same yeah. video coordinator type uh, uh, position before he made his way up the ranks and, and the players really responded to him when he took over. So, you know, I, I think that the Pacers are on the right track, especially with their ability to go through a process and not just hire somebody that they know, because I feel like that did stunt the Pacers' uh, last coaching search quite a bit when they just decided to make make Nate McMillan the head coach without even interviewing any other guys. I think that they could have just done due diligence by looking for somebody else before making that decision. And doing exactly doing exactly what Kevin Pritchard said, too is bring a bunch of guys in, pick their brains, try to figure some things out because of their perspective on your team. I I think that that's nothing but smart, and I'm glad they're doing it that way. I think that they hired Nate as the associate head coach under Vogel as a coach in waiting, Mm. you know, which which I think can be smart. So you've got kind of a a lineage and and an in-house breeding of of the next leader i think that that's important i mean you you talk to athletic directors and the thing that they've all got is that list in their desk drawer the guys that they want to to talk to and and really want to kind of figure out as as the next coach for their major sports if you're the if you're jack swarbrick at notre dame you've got a, a list in your desk drawer in case kelly goes south or in case he decides to retire you, you got guys that you feel really comfortable with having as your next coach. And I think that that's what Kevin did with Nate. I, I think this time, I think Nate got, or uh, Kevin got caught off guard. You know, the, the firing of Nate, I, I don't think, I know Kevin said many times during his postmortem that this was his call and his call alone, but I don't buy that. I, I don't think it was his call. I think if it was left to Pritchard's, kind of uh his decision making that he'd stick with nate for another year i think that this was herb and and that this came from pacers also and put him in a corner where he had to make this kind of move and i don't think that he was exact i i i think it did caught him on catch him off guard and because of that it's going to be a different kind of search 
No, there's no doubt about that. And I think he might have had some, you know, understanding of why they felt they should go a different direction. Maybe he felt that a little bit. I'm not sure. But I, I mean, the reports have said that he was nudged to make this move. And um, I think that to protect your owner and, and that kind of stuff, it would yeah. make more sense to just come out and say it was my decision. Um, well, he's got to do that. I mean, publicly, that's got to be what he does. But he's not he's not very good at, at shading the truth. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. He, he's a guy where when, when he's full of it, you know he's full of it. And when he's coming clean, you know he's coming clean. And in this instance, I really thought that that his hour-long kind of media dissertation, I didn't think it was disingenuous, but I thought that his explanations were were kind of, you know, company line right down the line. And yeah. so it is what it is. And, you know, one way or another, Nate's out. And now maybe Mike Budenholzer is going to be out because I guess if you get swept by the heat after a good regular season – you get fired these days, so <laughs> we'll see what happens in Game Four between the Bucks and the Heat. Yeah, well, I think I think Milwaukee is in a little bit of a different situation with Giannis being in a contract year the following year. I guess Oladipo, same thing, but I mean, I'm not even putting Oladipo anywhere close no. to the echelon of uh, Giannis. But I am I am curious though because when I went back and I listened to the interviews that that Kevin Pritchard did on JMV and Dan Dockage, and of course I listened to uh, I read the quotes that you guys had out on. Um, on social media about what he had to say in that press conference uh, with the end of season presser. I, I agree. I didn't really feel like I, I got too much from it. It was basically just kind of talking in circles, avoided a lot of questions. And basically only thing I got from it was anything's on the table and they're going to do an extensive coaching search. Did you find anything else that was, you know, worth talking about? The only th- this kind of troubled me, and I like Kevin Pritchard a lot, and I think he's a good general manager. But the way he talked about Victor Oladipo and the need to kind of curry Victor Oladipo's favor and and continue to build a relationship, and he talked about the trust that he had, uh, the, that equity that he had with with Victor, and that Victor felt in him. I felt like, who are we talking about here? The only thing that Victor Oladipo and Giannis Antetokounmpo have in common from a basketball perspective or anything else, is their last names end in O. Like, that's it. <laughs> Victor Oladipo is not a top 30 basketball player. When he was everything that he was before the injury, he was just inside the top 30. And Giannis is a two-time MVP, or, or will be, and and is a, a, a foundational piece of an NBA championship type team, regardless of what happens against the Heat, he, he projects to be that guy, and Victor Oladipo doesn't. So, I, if I were a player and I listened to what Kevin Pritchard had to say to the media, and, and this is this depends on what he's said privately to the people on the team. Maybe he's kind of singing a different tune to them. But if if he's like bending over backwards and grabbing his ankles for Victor Oladipo, I mean, my God, what are we doing? Victor Oladipo turned his back to people he was defending in that series against the Heat. He was awful in every way. He was awful mentally. He was awful physically. And and so if you're looking at Victor Oladipo, what I inferred, and I could be completely out of my mind about this, is that Herb Simon is tired of the Pacers losing stars that move the turnstiles at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And he wants Kevin Pritchard to figure out how to keep Victor Oladipo, regardless of the kind of 
basketball player Victor Oladipo is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Herb doesn't want to repeat. He doesn't want PG-13 too. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and so I think those are his marching orders. And for me, I'm real comfortable with Victor Oladipo going and playing someplace else. And if you can go get value for him on the trade market, pull the trigger and do the deal. Because Victor Oladipo, while a very pleasant personality and and while a very good guy with a, an Indiana State background, right? I mean, he's from here. He went to IU. People loved him at IU. That was kind of the high watermark of the last 15 years of the IU program when Victor Oladipo was there. You know, he wants to go to Miami. He wants to go to New York. Go. Have fun. We're going to get whatever value we can for you, and we're going to build without you because this was a hell of a good basketball team when Victor Oladipo was hurt. They were Mm -hmm. good playing without Victor Oladipo. They could be better with him if he's 100%. But not so much. I get hanky about him going away and picking up either a lottery pick or, or getting value back in terms of players who you can utilize now to go get wins. Well, and one thing, too, it's like, you know, I understand that they don't want another PG situation because, like you said, Vic does get fans there because of his connection with Indiana. However, if you trade him and get something back and, and this team is playing good basketball and they're playing a more modern style, I don't care who the star is on that team. Fans are going to show up because fans right. in Indiana like good basketball. And if the Pacers are winning, they'll find someone new to fall in love with. That means they did it really quick when Paul left. They they moved on quickly from Danny Granger to Paul George. You know, it's just a matter of they have to have a guy that they can count on. But, I mean, I think fans were going crazy over T.J. Warren already this year. Um, so it's like just whoever that hot guy is on the team that's going to be carrying the load offensively, I think that they're going to get the respect and the attention of the fan, and the fans are going to embrace them as long as they're true and, and faithful to the organization and to the fan base. So that's, that's to me, I mean, if you're going to overpay and overdo that to keep Oladipo just for that reason, I think that's a bit of a stretch, and I agree with you. I mean, if you find the right deal, I think you have to trade him, and I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, i got to get your thoughts on this because we talked about on our last podcast uh, that I did we talked about 10 players we'd like to see the Pacers, you know, maybe go make a trade for or go get in the offseason. Yeah. And uh, one player that I threw out because he is a free agent and, and the uh, Toronto Raptors have quite a bit of cap space is Fred Van Vliet. And if the Pacers could somehow woo him away from Toronto to come here, uh, that'd be somebody I'd be willing to pay a lot of money to. Would you be willing yeah. to pay money for Fred Van Vliet? Well, I, I would. Uh, like, it's, it's Herb's money, right? Right. And it spends good. I'm happy, you know, if if uh, if Herb opens up the wallet and figures out, you know, that spending above the tax threshold or spending above whatever it was, what were we ranked, 29th in payroll? I, my goodness sake, go spend some money and and don't be miserly and and try to build a make make your make your goal winning. Like if 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 it's just about money. I get it. It's a business, and you got to make a profit. But go ahead and get guys who, who can help lift the organization beyond the level of entrenched mediocrity that it's enjoyed. And mediocrity, uh, that doesn't describe it adequately. They, they're a good basketball team, but they've been great exactly two seasons of their existence in 98 and 2000. I, I think that they were really, really good and, and had a team that could win a championship. Go, go make that your focus. Give Kevin Pritchard 
the whatever he needs not a blank checkbook but or you know don't just here here's a blank check go do what you got to do herb's never going to be that guy but go give him the tools he needs to build this team and this roster at the level that you know what fans in indiana deserve because it hasn't been that minus uh some very very like we know when the the Pacers were good. They had a good team in the mid 2000s, too. Mm-hmm. You know, that team uh, with Jermaine and with Steven and with Ron before they all went crazy and, and we had the brawl. That was a really good basketball team that was capable of playing at a championship level. Go do that again somehow or another. And, and I think Kevin's a good enough GM to go out and get that done if he's got the tools at his disposal to go do it. But if, if Herb, if he's got to have daily conversations with Herb Simon uh, about the team, I mean, like I, I've been in middle management, and, and if I had to have a conversation every single day, it'd be fun for a while. It'd be fun <laughs> for a couple of weeks. But after a couple of weeks, I don't know what I'd tell the guy. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like we, we've talked about this. We're just we're going over old ground here. We're tilling old ground. It's it's it, 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 we've already planted the seeds. What are we doing? Right. Why do I have to have a conversation with you every day? Yeah, that would drive me a little bit nuts, and I, yeah. I think it is driving Kevin a little bit nuts. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know, you said at 29th in payroll this year. I mean, that's second worst in the NBA or second lowest in the NBA. Yet they had you know the seventh most wins overall record seventh in the nba so i mean obviously they're they're figuring out the best way to you know stay under that under that tax and and still be competitive but at this point you know i i think that not making it out of the first round the last five years i think it's been four or five years whatever it's been it's uh yeah. it's it's time to go out there and find and find culture changers and i feel like you know with fred van vliet he's been a guy that was a part of a championship team he was yeah. really really good in the playoffs the last couple of years, showing that he's a proven guy, but he went undrafted. I mean, there's guys like this all over the place that ha- that have that talent. That like Lou Dort, uh, someone that played pretty well for the Thunder in the past series against the Rockets. You know, he has a pretty great game seven. Obviously, got blocked at the end, but I mean, he went undrafted. There's guys out there that the Pacers can find, and I think they just have to figure out a way to maximize the talent that they have. And then maybe go out there and spend a little money to get those kind of guys on this team because going forward, they're going to need guys that, number one, have experience, and number two, aren't afraid to take big shots. And I feel like with this roster right now, outside of you know a healthy Oladipo, you don't have a guy that's really confident in himself to take a big game-winning shot. And, you know, the way Vic played this year, uh, you know, you really didn't want him taking that last possession because he couldn't hold on to the basketball. His shot was really inconsistent. And, you know, we know he's coming back from injury, so it's not a knock. It's just he's not that guy that he once was two years ago. So you're still trying to find that person. I think Van Vliet could be part of that. Um, Not not necessarily like a, a top 20 player, but I think he's a top 30, top 40 player when he's on his game. So I like Van Vliet. Maybe I'm overvaluing him, but... um I, guess. I don't think so. I, I think you're right. I love Van Vliet. He's a winning basketball player. And you bring mm-hmm. up undrafted guys like Van Vliet. Look at look at the difference between Duncan Robinson and his ability to score the basketball as an undrafted free agent out of Michigan, where he started his college career at Williams, for God's sake, a D3 school, and then T.J. Leaf, who yeah. is a first-round draft pick of the Pacers, and was supposed to be 
you know, more than like Duncan Robinson, but more. And T.J. Leaf cannot shoot and he cannot defend. And so the Pacers have a roster spot that is is taken by T.J. Leaf, who can't do any of the stuff that this undrafted free agent did at a level that kicked your ass in the playoffs. I mean, what the <laughs> hell is that? Go get guys who can do what you want them to do. There is nobody. I'm talking about nobody in basketball who believes that T.J. Leaf is ever going to be a good shooter of the basketball. You cannot, if you know anything about shooting and you watch that kid shoot, there is no way you can say, okay, from here we can get there. That there does not exist for the guy. The guy's basically cross-handed when he shoots. There's nobody who could shoot the way that he shoots and make buckets, you know, at 35% from beyond the arc. It's inconceivable. Yeah, well, just just to give you a little bit of context here, TJ Leaves on a four-year, $11.5 million contract with the Pacers. Sheesh. Duncan yeah. Robinson signed a three-year, three million dollar contract with the with the Heat. So you're talking about eight million dollars for a guy over three years. That's pretty much done nothing for the team. And you know whether that's opportunity, whether that's you know lack of growth, whether we talked about it last week with Popeye Jones. You know whether it's you know the coaching staff not giving him the right tools, whether it's McMillan not playing him enough to get him experience, him refusing, from what I've heard, him refusing to go to the G League. Uh, you know, to get better, to get that time to grow his game. It's a, it's a combination of all three things. And I think, you know, you're going to miss on draft picks. It happens to every single franchise. So it is frustrating, but especially when you see a guy that everybody wanted them to draft, OG and OB knocked down a game winning three yeah. against the yeah. Miami heat with point five or not the Miami heat, the uh, Boston Celtics with 0.5 seconds left. What a great shot, by the way, what a fun moment for all of NBA fans, especially Toronto fans. But you know, can it's just one of those things I'm just I'm ready for this team to uh be a little bit more a little bit more diverse. And I think if you're drafting, this would be my approach to the draft. I don't I don't really think stretch fours, stretch white guys are what I want if I'm going to an NBA draft. When I'm looking at talent, because even if you thought TJ Leaf, oh he could be a really good shooter, at the most he's gonna be a role player. But if you have upside in a guy, even if he has injury problems, because Danny Granger had injury problems and he was older. That's why he got drafted so late. you know. But if you're in there and you take a risk on a guy like that, like an OG Ananobi who was suffering an injury, and you say, man, if he can get over this injury, hey, it was worth that pick. We only had the 18th pick. It wasn't like it was a great pick in the first place. So that's right. kind of where I would go with my approach to it. But anyway, let me ask you this before we get into our questions here for our first segment yep. to wrap this up. We started off talking about a coaching candidate and another coaching candidate that's been kind of fun to talk about with the hiring of Steve Nash is Reggie Miller as a as a possible uh, possibility for the Pacers. Like, hey, would they even consider going after a player uh, to be a former player to be their coach? And I've kind of heard different takes from it, but would you be at all interested in the Pacers interviewing Reggie Miller? I think it'd be great. You know, the last time they did something like this, I think, I mean, Isaiah was a terrific player, but really it was kind of a bird thing. And if you surrounded Reggie with the kind of guys that Donnie put around Larry, you could have a really, really good staff. And I think Reggie walks into the locker room and he commands respect. I think he knows, like Kevin talked about over and over and over again, and I asked him about what he wanted in a new coach. And he said, you got to have the ability to communicate with this new brand of human being, this new brand of player. 
And I think that Reggie can do that. I, I think one of the, one of the problems, and, and this is overblown, I think, right? You know, guys like Nick Nurse and Eric Spolstra, well, how are they going to communicate with guys? They never played the game. They don't walk into the locker room with any swagger. So I think that's overblown a little bit. But with Reggie Miller, he brings some cachet and, mm-hmm. and walks into the room, and eyes are going to go to him, and people are going to pay attention to him, and, and they're going to, you know, they're going to respond, I would guess, to what he has to say because of who he is. Now, in the end, you got to be a coach, right? It, you know, that, that your status as a Hall of Fame player is only going to carry so much weight in that locker room. But I think it's a good place to start. Uh, that doesn't bother me at all. You'd have to pay him a lot of money because he makes a lot of money doing mm-hmm. what he does for TNT and TBS. So, uh, you know, maybe that's something that uh, Herb, where he would want to control costs, but you know, I don't know. I, I think it'd be, I think it'd be great. I think it'd be, you know, it'd be a headline hire, and and the people in Central Indiana get excited uh, about the Pacers a little bit. I think it'd be a good thing. Well, and if you're worried about box office numbers without Oladipo, yeah. I think if Reggie's a coach, he'll drive box office numbers through the roof because of the nostalgia. And one thing that you didn't mention is Reggie Miller knows what it's like to play in a small market. Yeah, Jim Miller right. was here 18 years. He can be that voice of reason for these guys that, look, man, I mean, my entire career I was going up against MJ. I was going up against the Knicks. I'm going up against these other, you know, big market teams. And we just have to find a way to compete. And we can't allow those big cities to intimidate us, to make us feel like we're not important. We can make sure that if we play our game, we do the things the right way, we'll get recognized if we start winning basketball games and playing, playing the right way. And I do think that... He would resonate in the locker room as as a former player, someone that's well respected amongst, you know, his peers. One of the greatest top fifty players, I mean, of all time, his ability to shoot the three and you know trash talk that kind of stuff. I mean, people remember those historic moments in the nineties when he was going at it with these franchises. So, definitely think that Reggie makes a lot of sense, but I think it has to be. You have to get the right assistance. I mean, Dan Burke, maybe he stays on as defensive coordinator. Then you go out and find that offensive mind. Who is it? Is it a Dave Yeager? Is it a Becky Hammond? Is it a Kenny Atkinson? Would they be willing to take a lesser role to be underneath Reggie Miller? Maybe, if they don't have a, a great job where they're at now. And then I, I just also think that it's it's great to bring back former players into the organization. Yeah. Because it speaks volumes. And I don't really think the Pacers have done a very good job of bringing former players back into the organization. I think the only person there now, the only two guys that are there now are on the broadcasting staff with Quinn Buckner and Eddie Gill. You know, nobody within that coaching staff in that <laughs> locker room are, you know, former Pacers that have really had an impact. And so we, we see those guys like Rick Smith, Derek McKee, they, they've made Indiana their home. They come to games, but they're not within the organization as far as, you know, a, a voice. So well, I, I they think don't, that would help. They don't fire anybody. Ever, yeah. except head coaches, right? I mean, That's nobody's true. ever fired. They either elevate people to the level of consultant or vice presidents. I mean, the 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 front office of the Pacers, both from a business and basketball perspective, these are the same guys that everybody in town has been dealing with, like forever. Rick Fusen has been with the team since the 80s. You know, you, you've got guys like Terry Tiernan who've been there forever. David Benner's been there forever. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. That kind of... That sticking by your people and hiring the right people so you don't need to have that churn, uh, I, I think is good. It's not a criticism, but Dan Burke's been there forever, 
and and Bano and Popeye have been there for a while. You know, you Ryan Carr has been there. Peter Dinwiddie started selling season tickets in the boiler room, for God's sake, and and kind of worked his way into the organization by building a relationship with Donnie and then Larry. You know, that's a pretty well-known story. These guys have been around for – Larry's still with the team. Donnie's still with the team. I, My God, you know, there, there's no churn. So there maybe there's a, a – you know, everything's a double-edged sword, right? You know, mm-hmm. there's good and bad in all. And, and so you've got people you can trust and people that you know. And then you've got a complete dearth of lack – or a, a complete dearth of new ideas. And and so that's kind of your organization. That's what the Simons like, and and so that's what it is. I'd like to see, I'd like to see something new walk in the door, and and I think that that's interesting. You brought up something else that I think is really important, and where it comes to signing free agents, you know, we talk about Indianapolis as a small market, mm-hmm. where it's very difficult to monetize your brand value. Who in the history of the National Football League has made more money? through brand value than Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning spent the lion's share of his NFL career in Indianapolis. You can make money as a guy in Indianapolis if you do the right stuff and you pursue marketing in the right way. You can make all the money in the world in Indianapolis. You you don't need to be in New York. You don't need to be in Chicago or L.A. You don't need to be in Miami. Those guys, I don't think, make any more money because of their brand, because of where they are geographically or the the population uh, of their market. Uh, Victor Oladipo, if he commits to Indianapolis and he commits to basketball and playing at a championship level, he can make every bit as much money and gather as much brand value in Indy as he can anywhere else. Name me. Here's this kind of a you could, but for people listening – Name five guys who play for the Knicks, all right? The Knicks are this juggernaut of uh, media love. Name five guys who play for the New York Knicks. I can't do it. Yeah, it's 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 tough. you got to think about it for a while, right? I yeah. mean, if, if I thought about it, I could probably do it just because I'm a stupid basketball nerd. But, um, but you know, you make a great point with the branding. It's because I was thinking about that this week. And it's like, you know, if Oladipo needs to leave the Pacers to, to brand himself, then that says more about Oladipo's uh, where Oladipo stands than anything else because it's like, look, a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know, he just goes out and plays. He's the MVP of the league back-to-back years. He's got his brand. He's in Milwaukee. Um, right. LeBron James did completely fine with his brand in, in Cleveland. Sure, he's in L.A. and Miami now, but when he was in Cleveland, he was a star. And Cleveland was on national TV all the time. I mean, Orlando, I mean, I don't even know if they're a small market or not, but they don't seem like a, a talked-about team very often, but... When Dwight Howard was there, when he was going on his run, talked about really good brand yep. for him as well. So it just it just really depends, you know, how good of a basketball player you are. And if you're not a good enough basketball player to get your brand, you know, you know, maximized here in Indiana, what do you think New York's going to do for you? You know, right. what what do you think Miami is going to do for you? Because if you're not good enough in Indiana, you're not going to be good enough in those markets either. So it's who you are, not where you are. That that's great. That's a great way of putting it. Um, all right. Do you want to jump into these uh, mailbag questions now, or do you have yeah. anything else you want to talk about? No, I love it. That'll be fun. I haven't previewed these, so yeah. hopefully they're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't expose an area of weakness for me or something like that. Hopefully they're basketball questions. I, so this will be fun. 
All right, I'll set you up with a softball here to start things off. Um, on <laughs> on on Facebook, we had two questions. So, um, Sam, I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, but it looks like Aviles A V I L E S. He asked, "Is Goga a solid prospect or a bust?" No, I think he's a solid prospect. We've talked about this for a while, and you know my love for Goga. Uh-huh. Goga, we, we talked about T.J. Leaf and the structure of his shot and, and why it's corrupt. Goga's exactly the opposite. Goga's release is great. His legs are under him, great. What he does as a shooter projects to him becoming a good shooter. He's a good shot blocker. He's a willing student. He's a good teammate. He's a guy who comes from great adversity, in, in war-torn Georgia, and I think it's like an international relations rule that before you say the country of Georgia's name, you have to throw war-torn in front of it. Um, but he is a, he's a guy who I think as he matures, like you're going to see a, a ramp of growth for Goga Batadza from right now until he's 23 that's going to be stark. You're going to see him develop and develop and develop and learn how to play the game. He's got all the tools. I think that uh, I've said this before, and, and you think I'm a, uh, inane and nuts, but I think that he's going to be an all-star in the end. I, th- I think he's got all the, he, the – his toolbox is filled, and I think he's got the attitude to go get that done. Yeah, and, I mean, to be fair to Goga, uh, the Pacers rank 30th in minutes played by rookies the last couple of years. So, you know, not much of an opportunity – Obviously, dealt with some injuries. If he could just learn how to set a screen, he'd be a lot better. Yeah. He's got, he's got yeah. a soft touch. I think he knows the game pretty well. But I also think that sometimes when he's out there, he's trying to prove his worth, so he's overthinking everything. If Goga could just calm down and play a little bit, if he was given a spot in the rotation on a regular basis, I think that that would allow him to you know, come into that player that he can be and allow him to get those reps, those minutes, let him work through that. Because if you don't ever get to learn from your failures, you're never going to be good enough. You know, you're never going to get that opportunity if you don't to grow if you're not able to grow from your failures. If that makes sense. You know, you bring up uh, an interesting point. It keeps flashing in my head as we talk about the way Nate did not want to play rookies. It reminds me of the movie Moneyball. You know, oh, yeah. with Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Art Howe, uh, telling Brad Pitt, who's Billy Bean, uh, you know, I got to play these players in the way that I think gives us the best chance to win. I think that's what Nate was committed to. And I think that at some point how that may have caused a little bit of friction. Mm-hmm. The only friction that may have existed between Nate and between Kevin was in how those assets were deployed as far as developing guys, because Nate, Nate's job was not to develop people for others to win with. It was to win with the people he had. And, and you can't fault him for that. No, you can't. Well, let's move on. we got about 11 more questions here, so we had 12 total questions that came in. <laughs> uh, Cameron Boggs, last one on Facebook, wants to know, will the Pacers hire Becky Hammond as head coach? Well, just to kind of rephrase that question, what do you think the chances are that Becky Hammond becomes the next head coach percentage-wise, Kent? I think it's really interesting. She obviously a well-credentialed candidate. When Kevin talks about the ability to communicate with a team, I do, we have no – we have no case study to rely upon to see how a woman in that position would communicate with men. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what that looks like. But I think that, you know, the Pacers have a track record of trying to be an organization that operates toward the social good. And, and I mean, they, they've got Kelly Kroskoff in the, the front office. 
you know, they brought in and Meyer in. And, and so there's there's kind of that this is sort of what they do. And, and so because of that, I think there's a chance that they would make that call. I don't it could be brilliant. It could be terrible. I have no idea. I mean, we, we just don't know what that looks like. It's never happened before. And and are the Pacers willing, as a team that's not far, seventh best record in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. They're not far off from being really, really competitive and being an upper echelon team in the NBA. You go out and get somebody with where you just don't know yeah. how that's going to work. And, and so that makes me a little bit weary. But from a coaching perspective, I mean, Becky has, has impeccable credentials. Yeah, I think the only thing knocking him right now is that Spurs Popovich tree is not looking too good in the playoffs right now. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just I'm just being real. Brett Brown fired. James Rago hasn't done much at all in Charlotte. Um, and Budenholzer's on a, a down three games to nothing in the semifinals. Obviously, Pop didn't make the playoffs this year for the first time in a long time. Kenny Atkinson got fired. So, you know, you just go through the entire list of people that have worked with him or under his under his Popovich tree, it doesn't look too good. I mean, Becky's never been given a chance. Obviously, I think she's highly respected uh, around the league, especially if Pop is going to have her on his sidelines. I mean, he wouldn't just put anybody over there, and he didn't put her over there just because she's a female coach. He put her over there because she's an incredible basketball mind who's had experience playing in the WNBA. So I think she's going to land somewhere. As for me, I would say it's probably about 30 to 40% maybe, you know, that she gets a, a chance to be the Pacers coach. Not sure um, what other candidates are looking at, but I just, you know, it's just a, it's a different dynamic. I don't think they'd be opposed to hiring a female coach, but they just have to make sure it's the right fit. Is she the right fit for where the paces are at now? That's what I'm not sure about. How would she resonate in the locker room with the players? How would she be able to convince, you know, someone that's kind of teeter-tottering in an Oladipo to, to convince him to stay? I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting thing, but she's got the credentials that make you – interested in her as a candidate and there's been a lot of fans that are really eager to see if she could be a a, a, a successful coach here with the Pacers Popovich is to the NBA what Belichick is to the NFL right yeah. you know Popovich really really good a, as a coach and and then his underlings go out and and they really don't succeed at the level that you would like and with with Belichick you've had Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell and Josh McDaniel and Matt Patricia, none of them have done squat yeah. as they moved into the head coaching position. It's kind of the same deal. I mean, Budenholzer wasn't very good at Atlanta, good regular season, but not good in the playoffs. And and it looks like he's building that same kind of team up at Milwaukee. And and so you do, you, you have some real parallels between those two guys that would make me skittish about hiring somebody from his tree. Uh, you're exactly right. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like it makes a lot of sense. I mean, hiring her, like having interest in her, could be similar to the uh, the Colts having interest in Josh McDaniels. Yeah, but is it the right hire? I don't know, and it's not a knock on her because I don't know what she'd be as a head coach. And you know, one thing I mean, Dan Craig is kind of interesting just because you know Spolstra hasn't had a lot of people from his tree go out and get jobs. We already talked about that, but. What what exactly could he be? I don't know. And that's the unknown makes right. me a little bit nervous. That's kind of why I'm like I kind of like having an idea of who the who the coach is if they're brought in instead of just, you know, trying to figure it out on the fly. And that leads us to our next question from my man Ed Lawley, uh the Source 94 on Twitter. 
He said about the Nets hiring Steve Nash and the Sixers heavily rumored to be hiring Ty Lue, I believe the Pacers' next coach will be Mike D'Antoni unless they go to the finals oh. or or uh, or they have a heartbreak in the conference finals. He goes, if this turns out to be true, do you think this is the best hire for the Pacers going forward uh, with Mike D'Antoni? So, Kent, what do you think? As we were listening to Kevin Pritchard earlier this week in the postmortem, I, I, as he was talking about what he wanted in a coach, and I asked him that question. I said, give me the criteria. What, what are you looking for? What boxes need to be checked? And as he went through the things that he wanted, Mike D'Antoni did not pop into my head. Mm-hmm. That was not the face of the guy who, who he's going to turn to. And, and then Bob Kravitz was even more pointed and asked, you know, it, obvi- he was being uh, vague, but obviously it was directed toward kind of a Mike D'Antonio candidacy for the position. And, and because Kevin's a smart guy, he didn't rule anything out, but it really didn't sound like that's the, that's the road that they're going to they're gonna go down is to hire a 70-year-old guy. I mean, I don't know what – and nothing against guys who are 70, but is – if you're looking first and foremost for a guy who can communicate with players today, this new brand of players, are you looking at a guy who's 70 years old? I don't think that you are, and so I don't think it's going to be D'Antoni. Yeah, honestly, like when I first heard the name of D'Antoni, I was kind of excited just because I want to see that kind of style of offense here just to be different because I'm tired of seeing uh, some of the boring stuff we've been running. I don't necessarily yeah. love uh, fully just threes and layups. I still think the mid-range game has some – value to it quite a bit actually and i think if you can incorporate all three of them i would be really intrigued by that um i like d'antoni he's probably in my top three of guys i'm interested in and and then bringing in maybe at the top right now just because he is a known coach i know what he's going to do he's 70 years old so he's not going to want to come to a losing situation which means that he's going to put pressure on the organization to get him a roster that's built to win now and I think that that, that that pressure is already on them, but it will keep the pressure on them where they might have been a little bit less aggressive to make a move at the deadline. I think if he's the coach and they're not playing at the level he wants them to play or he thinks they can go out and get somebody, I think you'll have a voice within the organization saying, hey, let's go out and get this kind of player. It's going to help our team. And so, you know, I don't I don't know if he's the best hire, but he's a hire that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I don't know exactly what his relationship with is with players. But it seems like the guys that come in there, they like him. And um, he was definitely not happy about the Chris Paul trade at the beginning of uh, of the summer when they when they traded Chris Paul away for J- uh, Russell Westbrook. He was uh, pretty complimentary of Chris Paul on a, on a podcast during that time and basically said he didn't know about the move until afterward because Daryl Morey pulled the, pulled the trigger. And Daryl Morey, I think he's on the hot seat in, uh, in Houston yeah. as well just because he's kind of gone all in on this. Small ball. So really, uh, Draymond Green put out an interesting tweet last night where he said, all these teams that have that have successful centers, you want the Rockets to lose because if the Rockets have success winning with this small ball lineup, the league's going to change like that, which I think he's right. Um, it's kind of ironic because the, the Warriors kind of did that with him as a center, but he's still a pretty big enough guy that I feel like a center could guard him, unlike uh, you know a P.J. Tucker who's so much uh, smaller than Draymond. Right. Right. And, you know, Rockets, they win last night. They win this series. Uh, the, the whole deal changes as far as D'Antoni and, and his potential availability and, and Maury being on the hot seat. I mean, if they, can, if they can beat the Lakers and go to the conference finals and, you know, it, who they 
is it conceivable that they could beat the Clippers or that they could beat the Nuggets? Hell yeah, it is. So, you know, they could wind up in the NBA Finals. And if you're in the NBA Finals, you can win the whole damn thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, let's move on here, Kent. Uh, Zachary Barnett wants us to rank these in order of what is most likely to happen. So we we got four options. It says Oladipo traded, Miles Turner traded, Bo traded, neither traded. So wow. rank, th- rank those for me. I'm going to say it's most likely that both are traded. It's second most likely that neither are traded. It's third most likely that Victor alone is traded. And fourth most likely that Miles alone is traded. Wow. Um, I, I, I think that it's, it's, they're going to be active this offseason. Uh-huh. Like and, and you have to be. And and so we're going to find out. You know, as we look at a guy like Miles Turner, we see a lot of the potential. We see what happened in game four when Miles was like, give me the damn ball. I'm going to score the ball. Let's mm-hmm. go. When he gets that guy, when he is that guy and he's got a matchup, you know, where where it's favorable for him to be fed on the post, he is really pretty dynamic. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if the Pacers are committed – to figuring out who he is and what he can do, given that you know that knowledge, they believe that he's a guy you can build around a little bit down on the block. Then I think that the Pacers they're going to keep him. Yeah. But if they're not, if they're not committed, if they look at Miles Turner and they look at the awkward gait and and they look at kind of his soft play more often, I mean, you know, we're talking about one instance in one game and a four game sweep where we liked what Miles Turner really looked like. And and so you're not seeing it a whole bunch of the rest of the time. And and so if they believe that that's the rule rather than the exception, I think they trade him because he has terrific value. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victor Oladipo, I think it's most likely that he's traded because it's a uh, – if you don't and he's committed to leaving, and boy, does he make noise in the same way that Paul George did, mm-hmm. right? I mean, my goodness. Uh, it sounds like Paul George four years ago as he was deciding that he was going to, you know, take his talents wherever the hell he was going to go, um, <laughs> wound up being in Oklahoma City. But he sounds like that. And, and so if he goes to Pritchard and says, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not going to re-sign with you people, I think they're going to trade him. Um, you know, I, I, I wish you could figure out a way to keep these guys together because I think that's one of the problems that the NBA has you got guys who who are on their fourth team. You know, as as you think about guys, terrific players in the NBA, the best in the NBA other than Antetokounmpo, who, who's only worn one jersey. I mean, how do you picture these guys? Like in, in baseball or in, in football, they stay with the team, or at least they used to. So you've got your franchise player. You've got Reggie, right? Played 18 seasons. Now what do you got? You got guys who are changing teams every year and they're structuring their contracts so they have freedom every single year. And so they're hopscotch in a country. And and it's a league of stars, not of team affinity. And I think that that's corrupting the popularity of the game. So I I hope that the Pacers figure out a way to keep both guys. But it wouldn't surprise me to see them deal. And and if you're going to deal all the depot, I I think you probably – you deal Turner too, although yeah. I'd hate to see it because he's still 24 and and young, and so like it's still there. You can still see it. You can see the place where he can develop 
into a really good player. Uh, I hope they don't quit on him, but I think they could get enough value back that it makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, with Miles Turner, it's always been about potential, but at the end of the day, potential is just potential unless it's reached, right? Yeah. So yeah. At, at one point, what at what point are you going to decide, hey, this guy's not reaching his full potential, and um, you know, at this point, it, we, we can keep talking about it, but he's entering his prime of his NBA coming up in the next couple of years. So um, I'm going to rank mine real quick. I think it's going to be Turner traded, number one. I, I just think they're going to make a decision on one of those two bigs, and I think Sabonis is the clear, obvious one to keep. And then I think it's going to be Oladipo traded, then Bo traded, and neither neither traded. I think that neither of them getting traded is the least likely to happen because I think they're going to move on from one of them. And uh, yeah, I can't, both of them seems kind of tough because it depends on what move you're going to make. I, I'm fine for moving anybody really, uh, besides Sabonis, really, uh, or Brogdon, just because I I think those two guys are huge glue guys and huge staples of the of the locker room and the organization. They represent the organization very well. Brogdon, the only knock on him is he can't stay healthy uh, for a full 82 games. But if he can stay healthy for the playoffs, I mean, the Bucks obviously could use him right now, right? So yeah, that's kind of where I'm on that. Um, but I agree with a lot of stuff you said. I mean, Oladipo, I mean, Pritchard even mentioned it in his press conference. This is his first real chance to go out there and test the market. Same with Paul George um, yeah. back then. And, and I feel like you're hearing more rumors about Oladipo leaving than you heard about Paul George. Um, yeah. To be honest with you, but that's just kind of the era we live in today, where a guy could be up three games to none on a team in the conference finals, and they're talking about them leaving that team for another team the next year. So it's just it's what people love is change, and it's kind of annoying. I, I kind of like seeing the teams and the players stay with the same team forever um, because it means more to that franchise, and it's you actually know who plays for what team without having to write down you know fifty different things to try to remember what team they're on. But um. Anyway, he has one more question for us here. I'm not sure if you even have any on your board, but he said, what college coaches are you looking at potentially getting the call to be the head coach? Oh, wow. Uh, I, I, don't think you, I don't think you fish in that pond. Yeah. Like there, There's nobody who, who really has my attention as a guy who, who would be a, a really good fit. I mean, it's an interesting question, mm-hmm. but it's as you look at guys like, what Billy Donovan was, um, you know, and what, let's say, Quinn Snyder as a college coach before he, he took the job at, and, and kind of rehabbed his image uh, to become an NBA coach. I, I don't know if that – that just – like, they, they Pacers haven't done that, no. right? That That's not their M.O. So I, I don't think – there are probably guys who could do it and would be good at it. But I don't think that you look at that as a, a potential hiring zone for this search. I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I think the only there's only a couple that really come to mind that I think that they might interview, and that's Kevin Ollie, a uh, former Indiana Pacer uh, with with UConn right now. I mean, I know that uh, their uh, their team hasn't been as great as maybe you'd hoped it would be, but he's somebody that's a former NBA player. Uh, the one that's really high on my list for the college ranks is Jerry Stackhouse. Um, at Vanderbilt, he just signed a, a five-year deal there, so I don't know how likely it is he would leave. But he was pretty good with the uh, Toronto Raptors G League team. He was interviewed for the Raptors head coaching position before he went over and took the uh, head coaching position at Vanderbilt. And their team was uh, they won back to back, I think, or they won one championship in the G League and then came up runners up. And they were a very different style um, as far as 
what the modernized offense looks like. Back in the G League, they were mostly known for their defense, and they had the slowest pace out of any team. So that screams Pacers basketball for you right there. Uh, right. But, but yeah, so, I mean, Jerry Stackhouse is an interesting name just because these are former players. And then if you're trying to go like, I mean, Calipari ain't coming here. You're not getting a big name like Coach K, any of those. Jay Wright's already came no. out and said he's not doing it. So that's like the only ones. I mean, maybe they maybe they dive into uh, uh, former Butler coach at uh, Ohio State. Kind of has a um, why, why am I why am I blanking on his name? Chris something. Right? Oh yeah, Holtman. Yeah, Holtman. I like Chris. Yeah, I mean that that could be a, a surprise pick, like kind of like a Brad Stevens at a left field, because uh, he's been pretty good. But I don't know if he wants to leave the college ranks. So you know that's all of that, but. Uh, yeah, so I think it's going to be an NBA assistant or a former NBA player or a former NBA coach. I think they're going to stay in the NBA ranks. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they went in the college ranks, but we'll see. Okay, so moving forward here, Kent, we pretty much have the same question as we had about ranking, um, you know, those likely to happen, not going to happen things as far as those. But this, uh, my man here is Big Blackenstein on Twitter. Also added another um, another option. He said another player is traded, not Vicar Miles. So, Go back, kind of got your rankings. Do you think another player is traded on this team? I, I think other players could be traded on this team, but I think that they would be package guys. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, trading TJ Leaf isn't going to break anybody's heart. Uh, Aaron Holiday it has value and, and could be dealt. But I don't think as a standalone guy that there's anybody that that I would look at as – like how? What are you going to get back? Yeah, for a lot of these guys, you know, I I don't think you're going to trade Sabonis at all. I you're not going to trade Brogdon. Um, you know, the other guys who are rotational, uh, I don't see uh, maybe Doug McDermott a, as a piece of of a of, of a trade puzzle, but I don't see a guy like a headliner type. This guy for that guy. There's nobody else on the Pacers. I don't think. That that really measures up to to be that guy in a deal. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I think Aaron Holiday is probably one of the mo- more like higher up names that could be dealt. I think Jeremy Lamb is possibly somebody that could get dealt for salary cap reasons. If you're trying to trade Turner and package him with someone else to get right. somebody that you really like with a nicer with a heavier salary cap, that makes sense. I don't really think that you're going to see Sabonis, Brogdon, or a Warren traded. Uh, at all. <laughs> so I think right. those three guys are my locks of who wouldn't be traded. But Kevin Pritchard said anything is on the table. So if they get a, you know, if, if for some reason, you know, the Nets say, hey, we'll give you Kevin Durant for TJ Warren and Miles and, um, Turner and, and Doug McDermott, <laughs> I mean, see you, TJ. You got to do it. But that that's right. not going to happen. So, um, well, this kind of goes into another question here we have from uh, – Gavin Grzuski, I believe it is. It's at Grew World number one. Uh, he said, "If we trade Vic, should it be for a guard? If we trade Turner, should it be for a wing?" So, what would you like in return? I guess would be a great another way to put this question. Um, if the Pacers do move on from one of those two or both, um, could you repeat that? For yes. Me? So he Alex? wants. He said, "If we trade Victor." Should it be yes. for a guard? If we oh, trade Turner, him. should it be for a wing? So I was just kind of rephrasing it of what would you like to see them get in return for one of those trades? Wow. I You know, I've never thought about it positionally. Uh-huh. Um, 
well, I mean, what do you got, right? If Oladipo goes, then all of a sudden you've you've got Aaron Holiday likely as your starter. That's kind of what, at least that's what Nate did uh, when Vic was down for a good portion of the season. Uh, and I'm not I'm not looking forward to that. Um, so I I think you would, and and it really depends on what you want to do. I mean, you if you're going to play two bigs. You've got Sabonis, you've got Turner, you've got Batadza, and you've got T.J. Lee for what that's worth. So you're kind of stacked at the bigs. If you're, gonna, if you're just going to trade Oladipo straight up for somebody, I think you've got to go get guard depth because if you don't, you're going to be exposed. You're going to put a guy who's a, a, a serviceable rotational player into a position where he's got to play 32 to 35 minutes, and I, I think that, that would be, that's a recipe that I'm not – like if 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 Kevin Pritchard's a cook and he's assembling uh, ingredients in a pot, and the ingredient for this roster is Aaron Holiday as the starting point guard, thirty-two to thirty-five minutes. I'm not interested in tasting that pot. I right. don't. I don't need that. You are not going to serve to me as as the main course at a dinner at a reasonable restaurant. So I, I think you would have to go get somebody. Either somebody that you project to be a dynamic guard, or you would have to get draft equity in a draft that you felt very, very strongly about. And I don't think I don't think the Pacers are in a place where they could go out and say swap for the seventh overall pick somehow. If anybody thought that Oladipo was worth that kind of equity coming back, and and think that that person was going to be worth a whole lot in under three years you know what i mean i think that they want to win right now that's what the pacers always want to do they want to win 50 games they want to move the turnstiles they want to make the playoffs they'd like to get through the first round and i don't think the seventh overall pick is going to do that it's a great question it's a really interesting question but i would short answer guard yeah you've got to get somebody at that position back yeah, so I mean, if, if if you want to trade both of them, right? So I mean, if the rumor that everybody, or not rumor, but the talk that everybody's been putting out on Twitter is, let's go out and get Drew Holiday, right? That's what everybody wants. They think that it'd yeah. be fun to have all the Holiday brothers here. So if you trade, <laughs> so if you trade Miles and McDermott down to New Orleans and get Drew Holiday back, well, that gives you the ability to trade Victor for whatever position you want, because yeah. you know you've right. got that guard. And you think about it, T.J. Warren is capable of playing power forward if you decide to play five out or a smaller smaller type of lineup like we saw in the bubble, which they were okay with. I mean, I think T.J. is fine at the four, but it's that his best position? I'm not sure yet. Would like to see a larger sample size of it, more than 12 games. But um, in some of the games, he looked pretty good there. But, you know, if they, if they can trade Turner for a wing, then they can trade Vic for whatever they want. Um, if they, right. You know, like I said earlier, like with Van Vliet, Let's say Oladipo says he wants out. Toronto's like, Psh, we've already had this once before with Kawhi. Yeah, if Van Vliet wants to go to Indiana, we'll trade Van Vliet for Vic in a, in a sign-and-trade type deal. Well, now you've got your guard, so now you can figure out what you want to do with Miles. Well, I know Orlando doesn't need a center, but someone that's got a similar contract is Aaron Gordon. He's a power forward. You can maybe make a trade for Miles for Aaron Gordon, something like that. Whatever you want to do to try to build that roster. I'm not saying specific names for a reason. I'm just trying to do it based on contract-wise where it makes right. sense. Whatever trades you make, you have to make sure it makes sense for your roster. You're not just going to trade you know, miles away for Drew Holiday and then go trade Victor for Van Vliet because 
then you don't have a lot of size. I mean, it might be fun to see Malcolm, Vic, and Drew together, but now you're really depleted at your power forward and center position. Um, you got Goga, a rookie from last year who's not proven himself, and then behind that you got free agent Jakar Sampson and TJ Leaf uh, behind the power forward position. And, you know, if you don't bring Justin Holiday back, well, then you're in a heap of trouble. So you just got to make the right moves, and it's uh, – I think if you trade one for the if you trade Vic for a guard or a wing or a big, then you got to trade Turner for the other. That's that's the best way I'd put it. And this is it, the math is going to get funky, mm-hmm. right? Because it's going to be a weird off season. The cap is going to be different. Uh, flexibility within the cap is going to be a little bit different. I don't think that we've figured out exactly how all the math is going to work. The Pacers are in a favorable place. In, in terms of cap, but they lose virtually nobody. They lose Jakar Sampson. They lose Justin Holiday, and, and T.J. McConnell could go also. Um, so you don't have a lot of money, but nobody else is going to have more money. And so it's the math is going to become really funky, and, and so they're going to need they're going to need an accountant in the room with Kevin Pritchard trying to figure out how to make this work. And it's going to be quite difficult. I think the Pacers are in a a unique situation in that they're not going to lose guys through free agency. And so Mm -hmm. if they stand pat, they've got a chance to return comparatively a really, really good lineup if Victor Oladipo can come back 100%. And if you can get Victor Oladipo at 100% going into that year where he's going to be a free agent, Maybe you go just balls to the wall all in for 2020-2021 and you see what you can do with this team and who you lose, you lose yeah. at the end of it. That's an option, too, and we, we don't really talk much about that because the status quo, that's not very interesting. <laughs> no, it's not. And, uh, Kent, we've only gotten through half of our questions, so we got six more. We've been doing this about an hour, so we're going to go through <laughs> these next ones uh, relatively quick. We've been doing these questions for about okay. 30 minutes, so... Um, Eddie Garrison here uh, works at uh, 107.5 The Fan as a producer. He wants to know, do, the, do you think the Pacers have forgotten about developing a great culture? Seems like three years ago that's what allowed them to make a run at dethroning LeBron in the first round and not making deals at the deadline. And now Miami's culture is being talked about in the playoffs. So have the Pacers forgotten about developing a great culture? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't I think either. That's why you make the deal for Brogdon. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think culture is very important to Pritchard. And Pritchard said something that was interesting, uh, again, during his media availability. He was talking about Chris Ballard and how those guys speak. And he talked to Ballard about their coaching search and how they came up with Frank Reich and what their methodology was in pursuing candidates. And, and the Colts and Chris Ballard have done a fantastic job over three years and now into the fourth year under Ballard in building a culture where that locker room, everybody's all in behind the team. And and I have thought that the Pacers wanted to replicate that. And that's why you bring in a guy like Holiday, who's who's a phenomenal cultural guy, and a guy like Brogdon. Uh, but then you hear Pritchard say things about how the, the tail's got to wag the dog, you know, and you've got to figure out, how Oladipo is going to fit and all of that. And, and I thought, oh, now we're not worried about culture anymore. We're, we're trying to placate a diva instead of figure out how to put 15 guys together under contract who are all pulling on the same end of the rope. So what I'm hoping is that Kevin Pritchard was just being very careful with what he had to say uh, about Victor Oladipo 
and that he understands that Victor is not necessarily a force for good as a diva within the organization, and they're going to find guys who want to win rather than guys who want to build their brand value and measure their status among their NBA brothers, not on, you know, number of championship rings or banners, but on Instagram followers. And, and so, but I worried about that when, so it's a good question. I, I worried about that when Pritchard was talking to the media, but I don't think that's him. You know, I, I think that he's going to continue to be a culture guy who tries to build a locker room filled with guys who are all in it for one another. And, and we'll see. But uh, I, I, there was cause for concern because of Pritchard's comments regarding Victor. I think when Victor came in and replaced Paul George as that face of the franchise, he kind of instilled the culture mentality that Pritchard wanted because he said Victor was always happy, he's always singing, was always, you know, talking positively about the team and really trying to uplift their spirits when it seemed like they were going to be in a rebuild. And they've even come out and said, they surprised us. We didn't think we were going to be as good as we were that first year. We thought we'd finish, you know, outside of the playoffs or very close to the eight seed. They didn't really have much expect high expectations for that team. And Victor came in and changed things. Now Victor has changed, in my opinion, as a player. And, yeah. you know, there's been rumblings that you know, the locker room was in an, un- an unhappy place. During the bubble, I've heard rumors that Victor was a little bit jealous of all the attention T.J. Warren was getting as, you know, one of those all-bubble team players. Like, he just right trying to make things more about himself than about the team. And so that can kind of demoralize that culture when you have a bad apple. It's like every, you know, there's always a bad apple in every, in every uh, batch of apples. you got to get rid of it. And, and maybe that's if you don't because if you keep it in there, then the other apples will rot and go bad. So you got to get rid of Victor if he is that problem. Now, these are all just rumors. So if he's not that problem, then you just figure out a way to massage it and, and get it back to where it was. And maybe a new voice, maybe a new head coach can kind of, you know, turn things a little bit. We know Nate was not the most relatable with his players. Um, I think it was mentioned that he had more of a Chuck Daly approach from Jay Michael saying that he kind of let the players work things out on their own. Didn't try to meddle in their business. But I think sometimes meddling is a good thing trying to find common ground with everybody, try to be that voice of reason and, uh, you know, just coexist with the players is a good thing for a coach to do in today's NBA. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not sure that the culture is gone, but we do know that Miami does have a great culture and, uh, they've right. done a really good job of getting a leader down there to instill that. So the Pacers might need to shift gears a little bit and find that right voice. And, and um, allow that voice to be the dominant voice in the locker room. Because if you brought Brogdon in there to be the leader, Victor's got to be on board with it. And if he's not, then there's going to be jealousy problems and there's going to be culture problems. So that's where I stand on it. But you're right. The the team does seem a little bit different uh, as far as culture-wise from that first year Vic was here to now. Yeah, and maybe it's got something to do with injuries. And, and, you know, you made the apple – you brought the apple into the the metaphor – apples they're ripe and then they turn and that's the way it works that's Mm -hmm. nature you know what i mean and so victor two years ago three years ago might have been that beautiful ripe apple and now it's turned a little bit he's evolved into a different guy and i think that i think that those kinds of catastrophic injuries they they change the psyche uh, of a player where basketball is no longer taken for granted, the ability to make millions, hundreds of millions 
uh, of dollars potentially becomes sort of omnipresent in the mind of a guy where he realizes that, you know, you just plant wrong once and boom, it all goes away. Or if it doesn't go away, you, you have to endure a full year of exhausting rehab. And and that's what Victor had to do. And there's no way that doesn't change a guy. And and as we talk about Victor, I mean, I love Victor Oladipo. He, he could not be a nicer guy and, and a more kind of enthusiastic participant in life. He's very spiritual. He goes to mass, 8 o'clock mass, even the mornings of uh, uh, of games. And and so this is a guy with a whole lot of good qualities, too. It just seems like Victor has figured out that what's good for Victor is the thing that he needs to respect most. And, you know, that's not basketball to me. Yeah, basketball to me is like jazz. And if you don't have five guys working in harmony with one another, your music is going to sound like crap. <laughs> and and if you've got a diva and who's, you know, surrounded by four guys, then that's not jazz. That's somebody out in front singing, playing, whatever, with four, you know, you, you got the side guys with four side men. And that doesn't work in basketball. And and so if if you're going to diva this thing, go ahead, but do it someplace else. Yeah, it seems like Victor's gone from a feathery Honeycrisp apple into a sour <laughs> Granny Smith apple. So let's see if we can uh, find a new uh, new batch of apples for him. So uh, my man, Mark Schindler, you can find him on Twitter at MSchindlerNBA. He's the host of the uh, Indy Cornrows podcast. Um, he wants to know, do you think Herb Simon will be willing to pay the tax for the first time since the Jermaine O'Neal era? No. I don't think that that's in, in Herb's, especially now. But, you know, I walked through the fashion mall the other day, which is, of course, a proud property of the Simon Balls family. And, boys, stores are closing up all over the place. The mall business is not good and, and so because of COVID. Yeah. Is it going to bounce back? We don't know. But you know what? The, what rings the bell for Simon Properties is no longer ringing the bell as loudly. So I think that the Simons are going to be even more frugal with their other properties, the Pacers being one. So I, I don't see them becoming really, really aggressive to the point where instead of getting tax money, because you don't go over the top of the tax, that they, they're they all of a sudden going to wind up paying into the tax. I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I would say that I agree with that statement. I mean, he is getting older, so I guess that's the only reason for our optimism that he might be willing to spend. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's a business, and right now with everything going on with COVID and the the future of the league, it's kind of in the balance. Nobody knows what's going to happen. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that I would just kind of wait and see. Maybe maybe in five years when he's 90 and uh, you know gets a little bit closer to death's door. I don't know. Jeez. Um, <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I mean, every day you live, you're closer, right? So Yeah, all yeah, of us are. You, yeah. you don't have to be 85. Maybe the – Maybe the you know the knock on the door is a little bit louder. The ticking of the clock is a little bit louder for Herb. But you know, heading toward death's door, I think is a little dire. It is. I'm sorry. It was the wrong choice of words. Uh, I won't edit it out. It is what it is. It's an hour nine. And you're still listening. Thank you. But you know, I mean, how much longer does he have? I mean, that's the thing. Does he want to see a championship here? Does he want to spend that money? He can't take it with him when he's gone. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's going to be a little bit before we see him do it. But, hey, um, 
the they've said the right things when they've come out. Pritchard has that he's willing to spend. I mean, you hear that every year. Well, let's see if yeah. he really is. I don't buy it. But um, all right, know. let's uh, let's move forward here. We got four more questions. These all come from Instagram. So we got uh, C A Bub underscore Lane. He wants to go. He wants to know. Do you see T J Warren become an All Star caliber player? No, no. I just think he is who he is. Yeah, and he's at, it's kind of as we discuss Hall of Fame credentials, right? There's kind of the Hall of Fame and the Hall of Good, and so if you extrapolate that to NBA players today, you've got the All Star level players, and then the the almost All Star level players. That to me is T.J. Warren, and he could make as an outlier, he could make an All Star team, but he, he's this sounds terrible, but he's his personality is not charismatic enough to elevate him as a a good player into that all-star level kind of persona Mm -hmm. that would allow him to become that. You know what I mean? He's just not that. He he doesn't draw attention to himself. He's good at everything, but what he's really good at, and you alluded to this earlier, he's really good at mid-range shooting. He is a great bucket getter from 15 to 18 feet. And that's just not the game of basketball, and it's not not respected. So the thing that he does best is the thing that's not valued at all, and that becomes problematic for T.J. Warren trying to be an all-star. Yeah, and there's a a lot of good players in the Eastern Conference at his position as well. Yeah. So I think that does kind of hinder him getting to that point. But I will say this, if he can get to the free throw line quite a bit more next season, if he's able to draw more fouls, put up more numbers in a way where he's not just you know hitting a bunch of – you know, random uh, random floaters or off-balance shots, but he was able to knock down a couple threes a game, get to the foul line, and then still do all that, and he's averaging about 20-ish, 25 a game. I, I think that you could possibly see him uh, getting some, you know, some love for a candidate to be an all-star, but reaching sure. an all-star level player... <sighs> I don't, I don't see it with him, but I do think he's really a really good player, and I think he could be a really good part of this Pacers team. And something I would like to see them do maybe going forward, it depends on who they bring in, is maybe letting him sub out early and then running with the second unit. I think he could be a really, really good part of that bench unit. And I kind of wish they would have done that a little bit in that Miami series. Whenever Jimmy Butler went to the bench, you know, kind of let him come back in with that second unit and uh, try to see if he could get himself going without Jimmy being on him, just for mental reasons. I feel like it was a it was a personal matchup. Maybe it kind of wore off after a couple games. But if you go back to January when they got into it, I think that it was just kind of personal for him. Maybe took him out of it a little bit mentally, trying to force too much, trying to win that matchup instead of just focusing on his game. So I'd right. like to see him more in that role. And I really think that for the Pacers to be a championship-level contender, I mean, T.J. Warren can't be your, uh, your best player. So... Um, Let's move on here. We got a question from, I'm not even going to try to pronounce uh, how your handle is, but it's A-D-J-A-F-R-E underscore. He said he has two questions. He goes, whatever coach we choose, is it possible to make our roster uh, do their best? And he says, with our starters, except Miles scoring 20 points per game, as we know they are capable of doing. So basically, do you think that all starters can score 20 points per game uh, with a new head coach? Well, I think that they could, but Mm -hmm. they're not going to. Yeah, You know, that, that no team does that. You, you can't, like, each of these guys, if they played for a terrible team, and I'd take this down to Aaron Holiday, too. If they played for a really bad NBA team, all of these guys are capable of scoring 20 points a game. Yeah. But how do you want to have this thing function? And, and they've been, like, last year, 
they, what they were all healthy for 86 minutes, right? Yeah. So it's it's hard to figure out what they would be together all healthy, but you had Malcolm in the 16s, Domas around 18. You had you know Miles capable. You had Warren at about 18, 19 points. So the scoring was balanced, but they're never uh, unless they really start to run, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like if they're a team that's going to score 105 points a game. There's no way the start math wise the starters aren't going to all score twenty unless you have a bench that doesn't score at all. Mm-hmm. So unless you increase the pace to where you're scoring a hell of a lot of points, you have no chance to do that. But it, I think the Pacers are in an interesting position in that they don't have anybody who can't on a given night get twenty if not thirty. Yeah, that's that's a fair point, and I think that. It's, it's maybe possible because it's only 80 points, but I think that you want to probably get more balanced scoring from your bench and other players instead of just having your four starters or your four core put up most of the majority of the points right. on every single night because them doing that every night is going to be unrealistic over an 82-game season. And uh, he had a couple more questions here in his uh, in his reply. He said, would you trade Victor for another all-star shooting guard, someone in like the second tier like Beal or McCollum? And I would... Scream, absolutely, yes. I think the question would be, could you trade Victor for one of those guys? And I think that question is no. And then he wanted to know if Miles, uh, would you trade Miles for a real power forward? And then he writes in parentheses, since he's a reboundless center. (laughs) Uh, He said, would you trade for maybe uh, like a Paul Millsap guy or a younger guy that could replace Miles? So I think I I would trade for both, obviously. Could you? I don't know what you could get for Vic, but I do know for Miles you could probably get a second or third to your power forward. I don't think that'd be too hard to get. I think Bradley Beal's a really interesting player, and I like him a lot. And I think it's hard to evaluate what he's meant to the Washington Wizards because for virtually his entire career, except when he was hurt, he was playing along John Wall, alongside John Wall. And, and Wall's a guy with whom Beal was never going to be allowed to be everything that Bradley Beal could be. And and so I don't know what he would look like as a pacer. I love his game. Right, he's he's one of my favorite guys to watch in the NBA. McCollum, obviously, uh, you, you would make that deal. What what you do with Turner, I I think really is determined by who you hire as a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what are you going to do from a style of play perspective? And it, are you going to hire a coach who's going to do what? what he has to with the roster that he's given, or is he going to be a guy who comes in with a style of play in mind that you hired to, and then you, you've you got to kind of contort the, the roster to fit that scheme. I, I think that what you do with Miles Turner is, is in large part determined by who you hire as coach. Yeah, and I think that all makes sense. I mean, for me personally, I think – CJ McCollum for Victor Oladipo is a win for the Pacers and the Blazers. Right. The Blazers wouldn't make that deal, but especially if Oladipo is wanting to go to a bigger market, why would they trade for him? Uh, same with Washington. I kind of get it because Victor's from that area in Maryland, but Bradley Beal is not on the table. Um, Zach no. Lowe came out on his podcast yesterday or Thursday, whenever it was, and he said Bradley Beal is not available. So I, I think that that's very well known around the league that the the Wizards want to run this back with Wall healthy with Beal and see what they can figure out and see if they can, you know, at least be competitive because Beal looked pretty darn good this year without Wall. I think he averaged like 30-some points a game. I mean, he was an all-star candidate, didn't make it. I know they were mad that Sabonis made it over him, but tough love. Uh, Sorry about it. Got to win more games and make the playoffs. So 
So, but yeah, I mean, as far as miles go, I mean, I, I think that you just have to really just kind of gauge the market and see what you can get. I wouldn't trade miles just to trade him, but if you can get the right fit in here, I would do it. So two more questions and then I'll let you get back to your vacation. It sounds like uh, you're ready to rock and roll over there. So you're uh, correct. <laughs> last, last, <laughs> last two. We'll get this done with underscore Seth Davis wants to know, is it just me or is this team never going to be an actual title contender? And uh, do you think we need to just rebuild? I don't care about winning 50 games. I care about us winning a championship. Pretty strong stance there. Well, you know what? Herb Simon cares about winning 50 games because, as we've seen, if this team goes in the tank, nobody is going to show up at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. You're going to have, you know, it's going to be 4,800 people, no lines at the bathroom, no lines at the concession, nobody's spending money on swag. And that's not the way the Simons have run this franchise ever. They want to make the playoffs. They know they need to make the playoffs. And so they're they're not going to tank. You're not going to go all Sam Hinkie with, with the Indiana Pacers and try to, you know, uh, figure out a way to, to wind up in the lottery five years in a row. So you've got a, a team that's going to be competitive in eight years. That That isn't happening. So, um, and, and I don't think that it should. I, I don't know how close they are. I think there is kind of an entrenched level of good, not great mm-hmm. with this team that I, th- I think is really, really difficult to break the cycle of. But uh, that's kind of who they are. And and I think that if, you know, I, I don't know, it, it was this team so far away, they were going to win 50 games. If you played 82 games, they were going to win 50 to 53 games. You know, I, I don't think that they're they're far away from contending. We haven't seen them do squat in the postseason since 2014, so there's that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that, you know, with Domas at 24, with Miles at 24, with T.J. Warren turning 27 today, with Oladipo at 28, you know, Brogdon I think is 26, you've got one of the youngest rosters in the NBA – and and they're going to continue to develop, minus Oladipo, uh, unless he can rehab. But these guys are going to continue to get better and grow as a team. I, I've got no problem with this team constructed as it is, thinking that they're going to get better next year. And they better get better next year, because if they're not as good and they bring everybody back, what the hell did you fire Nate for, yeah. right? No, and I think a lot of it comes down to it's just – being lucky sometimes. I mean, look at the last couple of years of who's won the title. I mean, the it's been LeBron James has been, you know, Steph Curry's Golden State Warriors. It's been Kawhi Leonard, wherever he's been at. Uh, Dirk got a win in there in 2011. He snuck one out over the heat. But most of, most of the time when you see championship-level teams, they've got two or three stars that could be number ones on any other team. So it's really just about, you know, right. it's a star-driven league. And – um Going into rebuild mode, what does that get you? Because you could be in the lottery for four or five years, but with the way the lottery is now, you could have the best odds to get the number one pick and wind up with the seventh pick. So now you're just right. hoping and banking on that. So it's it's really tough to kind of tank and rebuild without you know um, going through a bit of a long a long stretch of a struggle here. And I think the Pacers are smart in not doing that because. Look at, I mean, look at it. I mean, the Raptors got lucky and traded for Kawhi Leonard. He brought them a championship. Would the Pacers be willing to take a risk where they give up a, a guy that could be a part of their franchise for four to five years to go out and trade for a guy for one year? Maybe they should do that instead. Um, I mean, I'd be fine with it. If we got one championship here alone, I would be great with it. <laughs> you know, right. I'm not expecting us to be a championship dynasty, but 
the Pacers have to do what is best for them, and rebuilding is a, is a really hard thing to go through. And I think as a fan, you'll appreciate the 50 wins, especially if they can get out of the first round of the playoffs. If they can make deep playoff runs, then you'll be okay with it. But I think right now it's just part of the recency bias of not being able to get out of the first round the last three years, and last four years really, I think, or five. I can't even remember. I'm losing track. But it's uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's been five years now they've been out of the playoffs. So in the first round. So yeah, that's what you right. have to do. That's what you have to do is make those deep playoff runs and, and grow your guys and give them that experience. Kind of like we saw with uh, the early 2010s with Paul George getting into that starting lineup as an eight seed and then growing into that player. So uh, last question before I let you go, it's from Markel flop 42. He said, I would like to know what is something not obvious you miss about the field house. used to be a part-time employee and I miss being there with my coworkers and the fans. Going to be crazy if we go next season without fans. Listen to you guys every week. Keep up the good work. So thank you, first and foremost, for listening. We really appreciate that. We're saving our, our most faithful listener for last, I guess, here. And, uh, yeah, Kent, what do you miss about the Fieldhouse? The thing I miss is going there, right? And and so you, you go there when you're in the media, and you see all the other media people, and you, you have some food, and you, you have some fun at each other's expense a little bit. And so you go to practice and you talk to the same guys and you see Chrissy and David and Wes and Eddie. And, and I, I miss that contact, you know, talking mm-hmm. to Scott Agnes, talking to Mark Monteith, uh, Jay Michael, you know, all the guys who cover the Pacers on a, on a regular basis. Uh, I miss those people and that connection, I think, which is what I think that we all miss in this day and age of kind of remote working and, working from home we don't have that day-to-day interaction with, with the people that we've really grown to kind of rely on as sort of an extended family and uh so that's what i miss i i miss the people i don't miss i don't miss the facility you know you know what i mean but it, it's the people that that i've been around for a while that i really kind of miss i i seek out opportunities to see them and and participate in things with them just because i do miss them yeah, I will say that I am uh, not not a credential media member. I'm just a podcast host, so I don't have those same relationships that Ken has. So for me personally, what I miss the most, it might kind of sound weird, but I love the smell of Bankers Live Fieldhouse when you yeah, walk in. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, you just know you're, you're, you know you're there to watch a Pacer game. You walk up those steps into the arena. There's that huge, giant jumbotron. you got both fan sections going crazy. And, you know, you're just like, ah, it's good to be somewhere where I can just sit down, relax, and then watch my, and watch my favorite team play basketball. And then secondly, because I'm a, I'm a biggin' and uh, I like to eat, I'm going to have to say that I miss the smell of Ben's pretzels and eating a Ben's pretzel <laughs> during a game while watching it with my dad or with a friend that I go with or my wife or whoever I'm at the game with. Just miss hanging out date nights, you know, uh, you know, just get-togethers. I mean... You go, you go watch the game, you hang out, and then after the game, sometimes if it's on the weekends, you can go downtown and get a bite to eat somewhere and uh, just hang out with friends. So I just, I just miss the environment of being able to hang out, socialize, and uh, you know, watching it on TV is fun, but there is a total different. Uh, I'm trying to say this right, but there's a total different um, environment element to it when you're actually at the game instead of just watching on your TV. But, yeah, uh, I'm sure it was fun being a part-time worker. Uh, I'm sure you didn't enjoy probably sweeping up all that popcorn and stuff. But, hey, uh, you know, thanks for working at the Fieldhouse. It's a a great facility, probably the best arena in the entire NBA. Yeah, 
Oh, I totally agree with that. And I, I totally agree with the smell. You know, that that, that uh, specific smells to specific places oh, yeah. are just indelibly eld- or, uh, kind of etched in our memories. Whether it's like Wrigley Field for me as a kid going there and you got the smell of the cigars and the, and the beer. And even though nobody's had a cigar at Wrigley Field in like the last 20 years, you still you when you walk in you still have that there's that sense that smell of mm-hmm. of old time Wrigley Field and you've got that same thing at Banker's Life with, with the popcorn and the pretzels and and all that stuff and it is for my money of all the places I've been all the arenas whether it's college or pro for basketball that is absolutely the gold standard it's been around for 20 years and and they keep updating it and I think Rick Fusen and his team have have really treated the the field house and the city because the city's paid for some updates too have yeah. have really treated that thing with respect that it deserved and and they've maintained it as an upper echelon facility in the NBA and that's not easy in a town like Indy. Yeah and and if you've ever been to the mall downtown you know exactly what it smells like when you're on that level where the Cinnabons are being made because you immediately <laughs> jump off the escalator head over to the Cinnabon place and get you a Cinnabon you ain't going to let that go or it's like you know being in the mall walking down Yankee by Yankee Candle store and when you walk in oh all the different candles are smelling good <laughs> that's what Baker Life is to me it's just like ah the smell of Baker's Life food house so uh, great, great analogies from both of us here, I think, on it, describing that smell and just knowing where you're at. It's just like, ah, yes, I'm here. I'm finally at a game. But anyway, yeah. Kent, we've gone for about 90 minutes, so this is a long episode. It was a lot of fun, though. We uh, we talked your ear off, and uh, we could have maybe broke this down <laughs> into two parts, but hey, whatever. It's a special Labor Day treat for you guys. Hope you guys have a great holiday weekend. Enjoy your Monday off, and uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.